Welcome to Hanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 48, Saving Mr. Banks from 2013. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, I realized last year, I think it was last year, we had Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers in a movie not really about Mr. Rogers. Now we have Tom Hanks as Walt Disney in a movie not really about Walt Disney. Like, how many more historic, you know, these, like, legendary men of American pop culture mythos is he going to play in movies that aren't really about those characters? It's bizarre. It's very strange, and it's even stranger. It dawned on me, we don't have the Walt Disney movie biopic yet. Like, where's that movie? That's all I kind of wanted to see. I almost felt like I needed that first, because I realized I don't really know as much as I thought I knew about Walt Disney (laughs) and uh, you know nothing against this film I I quite enjoyed it and its story as well but yeah that was it's odd that it's not the Disney movie I remember years and years ago I saw like fan art of a young Walt Disney on a train in a movie called Walt and Walt starred Ryan Gosling and I was like oh that that would be good right that would be good yeah but that's you know we have what we have here and that's okay it is what it is Can you please, if people have not seen Saving Mr. Banks, which is available on both uh, Netflix and Disney+, Plus, there's really, if you want to see this movie, there's almost no reason not to have seen it. Please give the listeners a plot summary what this movie is about. Sure. So this movie is actually about Pamela Lyndon Travers, better known as P.L. Travers. Miss Travers to you. And she is the author of Mary Poppins, the Mary Poppins series of children's book featuring the magical nanny Mary Poppins. And for, you know, wow, well over, I guess, 20 years, Walt Disney had been trying to get the rights and turn it into a major motion picture. She was very protective of this character, regarded them as children. And eventually, because of, you know, impending destitute and just the money drying up, she actually has to entertain the idea of working with Mr. Disney himself. Enter Tom Hanks as Uncle Walt, where he brings her to Los Angeles, Disneyland, schmoozes her, wines her, dines her, does everything that he can uh, to please her to get this movie made. But in the meantime, we learn why she is sort of overprotective of this literature that she has created, is we get the backstory of her as a child with a very alcoholic father played by Colin Farrell. They are in the outback, early 19th century Australia, like they are way out there in the middle of nowhere Australia where he is struggling to uh, manage a bank and get that off the ground. Uh, We learn that this is sort of the grounds for the inspiration of Mary Poppins herself, who was sort of like this nurse who came to sort of take care of her father while he was dying of alcoholism. She works through her differences with Walt Disney. He comes to terms with her feelings about the character. She She understands his feeling about the characters and together they actually end up making quite a magical movie together and they kind of rub off on each other a little bit Uh, you know together they did make history and that's pretty much the movie that we get here yeah, and so it's it's kind of a strange story because Mr. Banks is not really figured. Like, it's a weird thing, right? It's weird. I was thinking, like, I understand wanting to tell the story of this author. Right. But this is a strange place to do it. Like, we talk about biopics all the time and, you know, whether you want to tell the entire life story or you want to focus on a certain event, I would have said, you know, focus on 20 years earlier when she created Mary Poppins. Uh, Not so much the movie where she sells the rights and makes the movie, but... I don't have an affinity. Like, I don't have a real history with Mary Poppins. I know that a lot of my friends do. I know that when Mary Poppins Returns came out, people, like, kind of 
you know, had such an, an upswell, like a swelling of emotion around what that movie meant to them as a child. So, like, I don't have this history with Mary Poppins. I feel like you kind of need that here. I feel like you kind of need a little bit more. Like, there's people who are, like, diehard, obviously, diehard Disney fans, right? And, like, this is kind of that, but also not really. I don't know who exactly this is for. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's just, like, an average kind of movie. I think it's wildly depressing at times. Yes, yes. I don't know that it's always accurate. Like, there's a lot of trivia, believe it or not, in the movie about Walt Disney, essentially. There's a lot of trivia in IMDb and about a lot about how P.L. Travers reacted to seeing or whether she saw or how she reacted to the idea of Mary Poppins being made. I got rid of all that because, like, that's not really what this is about, and there's so much of it. And also, like I was joking to you, every time the trivia referred to him, they referred to him as Walter Elias Disney. It's like... Why you gotta be so formal? Just call him Walt Disney. Call him Walt. Call him Uncle Walt. Call him Mickey's dad. I don't need to say, like, every time in the trivia, Walter, Elias, Disney. Like, it's like, this is not a museum tour. Old Elias Disney making him walk through that snow. It just, it's a strange blend of things that I feel like this could add up to someone like someone who loves Disney, someone who loves Mary Poppins, someone who loves Tom Hanks. Emma Thompson is great in this movie. It's just, it all comes together in, like, in a recipe that, like, I don't fully understand and it's just again not bad but just not my cuppa essentially i i think i'm right there with you it's oh i'm almost on board like i think i liked it more than you have but then again it was the first time i'd seen it i was thinking batman begins at times in the way that the flashbacks occur right and i think that's kind of useful but it doesn't know really what movie it wants to be is it i think it's most successful when it's a movie about the process of movie making like i love those types of movies i think that's what it really nails here maybe working with a certain artist of a great stature you know that you, you want to honor in their work and yet you want to be able to sort of take a liberty and do your things it's a different medium and I love those types of movies I think that nails it here and I think all the stuff about her growing up with Colin Farrell that's like this whole other movie like you can get to the bottom of that without those flashbacks I feel and and most of the time for me they were getting in the way because I sort of got it through the performance without it if that if that's clear oh yeah absolutely like I would I would agree that I think the flashbacks are my least favorite part of this movie because like I love Colin Farrell but like it just kind of feels like to a certain end at a certain point it's the term that I used more egregiously I think for extremely loud incredibly close but it kind of feels like misery porn in a while it's just like look at this guy he just can't get anything right look at how he's screwing up his daughter She's so full of joy as a child. Look at her. She's now this old woman, older woman, not old woman, but older woman who, like, is wildly unhappy. Like, look at how he's breaking her spirit. And it's like, but, like, we don't need, like, I I get it. Like, I don't need to keep flashing back and keep seeing his life fall apart and keep seeing her, like, slowly have the light lose from her eyes. I, I just don't need that. And I feel my favorite film critic, David Ehrlich, trashed this movie and he said that it's a bad sign for your movie when like the most emotional moment is when you have a character talking about his daughter like Paul Giamatti talking about his daughter and I don't think that's the best moment I think it's good your boy Paul Giamatti but the emotional resonance I think what you were saying that they wanted the flashbacks to have don't work or it it hits home and then it keeps hitting home it's like no I I get it we can stop yeah because what worked for me where I was actually getting like nostalgic and and you know tearing up at times was hearing the music of the boys like writing the songs Uh, I call them Bradley and the boys but (laughs) you know it's the Sherman brothers very famous musicians for the Disney Disney studio those moments when they're just like working out tunes and things and and that's where I sort of started to get like uh, emotional you know and those and and the other stuff the flashback stuff was coming off a little too heavy and it's weird because like two things I think was maybe going on around 
around this movie. I think there was just a craving of more Mary Poppins anything. Uh, They had been trying for a long time to make another Mary Poppins movie. I really do like the one they eventually made. I think it works. But it almost feels like this is the indie version of maybe a more commercial movie involving or revolving around Walt Disney or Mary Poppins that should have also come out around the same time, i.e. maybe the actual Walt Disney biopic. Like if this and that came out together, maybe there would be a better sort of understanding of, of each movie. Because when it comes down to it, he's the he's the intrigue. He's the enigma, you know? Like I sort of feel like I understand her for the most part, but this movie leaves me asking more questions about Disney. Like I think, you know, I just said my least favorite part, but I think my favorite part, and I know we're sort of jumping all over the place, but my favorite part is that scene at the end when he goes to her house and he sits down with her and talks about how he had his own Mr. Banks. Like we mentioned earlier, you know, the dad making him go out on his paperboy trips. I feel like that is two actors acting in a way that we haven't really seen. It's like Emma Thompson just being kind of a caricature of like a shrew in a way. And there's the fun and there's the elements. It reminded me, like I had just seen in the last couple months for the first time, like Singing in the Rain. Like it reminded me of that, right? Where it's like the old timey Hollywood, like let's just write a song, let's just make a thing and do a thing. Like there seems to be like more of a magic as opposed to, you know, whatever kind of process there is now. But it feels like finally at the end when like he breaks down the barriers and like he like gets thrown to her and then they're just acting and like and then you know she pivots on a dime almost and becomes like this whole new woman is like wearing different colors and cheerful and whatever and I feel like that kind of goes a little bit too hard the other direction but I feel like that one scene where Tom Hanks finally sits down and kind of takes off the like Walt Disney mask and it's just like Walt essentially right like as, as much as he always wants to be just Walt like we're on a first name basis around here or whatever like that's where he finally gets to be like well like look like this is you know I think we get a little bit of that earlier when he talks about not wanting to sell or not wanting to be blackmailed or whatever whatever bike to give up the Mickey drawing. But I feel like that is the moment where we're like, oh, this is this is what the movie should be. And I don't know how you make that one scene a full movie, but it was a weird thing where like I, I paused it last night after an hour and a half because I got tired, I wanted to go to bed. And then like I kind of resumed almost into that scene. I was like, where was this last night? Like how is how is this only showing up now? Like this is what I want to see. And I don't know how you make that in a whole movie, but that's the best part for me. It's interesting because I feel like Emma Thompson almost gets those moments or close to moments like that with each of the characters she runs into, especially Paul Giamatti, right? Like they become BFFs by the end of this movie. She carries so much of the emotional weight of this film that everyone else is sort of pivoting and balancing around her performance for the most part and ultimately I think it's it's Hanks is the only one here not keeping up but like that could sort of I don't know he surprised me let me let me just say that like I thought at first he'd be very typecasted but then the more I watched it the more I realized like it's kind of perfect casting because I don't want to say he's like a modern Walt Disney but he's a very beloved person and actor and everything and Walt Disney was in his time as well and I don't know he's sort of an enigma to me they both are but I was just able it was almost one of those perfect instances where I could just sort of imprint Hanks on top of Walt and it just really I got the character at least if not the actual person that was they were trying to portray it worked for the film much better than I was ever expecting and it would have been nice to see him do a feature-length Disney movie but also you're right like I would have liked to just have one scene where we followed him home maybe we get a little interaction with his secretaries and stuff and that's all very nice and you know we catch him smoking Uh, All this stuff about Walt Disney, you wouldn't really expect Disney to allow on screen, like showing him smoking. Yeah, I have some trivia about that. So this is obviously a Disney movie that they put out, that they released. This is not a movie that they wrote. They acquired this movie. And so Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, former CEO, maybe current, I think still current CEO, at least CEO at the time, Bob Iger, 
was like nervous about this because they're obviously portraying the namesake, right? They're portraying the man on screen. And so like he personally called Tom Hanks. He's like, you need to do this because like this needs to work. We can't just have somebody else. And so he wanted to make sure Tom Hanks did it because he was a safe bet for like a risky project. And Tom Hanks, you know, agreed to do it. And I think it seemed like from what IMDb suggested that there he did a lot of research. Like he watched a whole bunch of Disneyland episodes and the Wonderful World of Color to see how he was on screen. Because like, the way we introduced to him, which I think is a super cool thing, is we don't see, like, we obviously we know Tom Hanks is Walt Disney, but to see him in black and white on TV with Tinkerbell, like, that's so cool. Like, that's such an interesting, unique entry. And I feel like even if he watches, like, dozens of hours of TV to, like, get that, like, 60 seconds right, like, it pays off because it feels like he's embodying the man. But it also feels like Tom Hanks wanted to show, because, like, Walt Disney was, like, this prolific smoker. He would die of lung cancer, you know, brain in a cryo-freezer somewhere, you know, who knows what, right? But like... Head in a jar, yeah. They, he coughs in the beginning, like when we first walks on screen, he's like coughing, and you know, he's like, oh, I'm fine, whatever. Then like he puts out the cigarette at the end when she comes into the office. But like Disney would not allow, the studio Disney would not allow the movie to show him smoking because they wanted to preserve his family-friendly image. So it seemed like Hanks wanted to push that a little bit, but I don't know that we ever would have gotten to your point. Like I would love to see him go home and just kind of like take the mask off a little bit, right? And just kind of like relax and not have to be Walt Disney, but just be like a guy, a husband, a father, whatever. And I don't know that we were ever going to get that because it felt like they wanted to tell the mythologized version of this man and this whole story of making Mary Poppins as opposed to letting them really like go deep. Like we're never going to get like a the real, like the, like the E true Hollywood story of Walt Disney. Like that's never going to fly. Like no authorized version of that. But I want to see if that's never going to happen, which I don't know if there's some, there's probably sordid details, who knows. I would love to see something just a little bit more, a little bit more real. No, I totally agree with you. And yeah, I don't think, you know, we're, we're ever going to get the, the dark and gritty Disney movie that I ever want, you know, as long as there's, you know, their Iron Grip and the Evil Empire, all that kind of stuff aside and everything too, though. But like, yeah, you know, the movie, it, it's making you see him the way it wants you to. And Disney itself were kings of propaganda and all that kind of stuff. But this movie isn't hurting anybody or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't, I think one day we'll get sort of the Citizen Kane version maybe of Disney. I'm sure we've seen it out there before. We're just not privy to like all the sort of details and stuff. But like, yeah, this is a very iconic person. So there's all sort of uh, protection around his image and everything like that. I mean, it would be amazing to see, you know, him creating Mickey, but like, at least we get that sort of little story about Mickey and to mention it. Maybe the problem is, now that I think about it, there's too much Walt in this movie. And he's sort of stealing the show and like all of his intrigue and stuff is eclipsing everything else around here. I, I almost maybe would have rather he just be a presence instead of an actual uh, person on screen sometimes. It's a weird kind of amount, right? Like either show us way more or way less. Like I feel like there's the mythologizing of him of Giamatti being like, oh, there he is. But then we kind of get like an odd amount, right? Like we see, I mean, obviously you're not going to, well, maybe not obviously, but you're not going to cast Tom Hanks and not have him be in a fair amount of the movie. But like, imagine if he was only in one scene, right? Like if it was still Tom Hanks, but he's only in one scene or the whole movie's about him. Like I feel like what we have in the middle, it's like, is this her movie? Kind of. Is it his movie? Kind of a little bit less so. Is it the story of Mary Poppins? 
kind of even less so than that. Is it a story about making movies in general? Also kind of. Like, it just feels like it doesn't really know what it wants to be. The Mr. Banks, I think the name is bad, right? Like, the, the name is bad. The name of the movie is bad. Yeah. I don't think it makes any sense. I don't know what you call it instead. No. It's tough because, you know, I, I think it's interesting, you know, just to sort of, because this is the Hanks cast, to just, you know, to talk a little bit more about him and stuff, it's interesting that they introduce him on TV because that's almost like P.L. Travers' perception of him is just going to be that. Yeah. And so, like, we're just seeing him the way she's seeing him maybe that's the whole point of that and like he is coming across as the genuine guy even though it seems like he's always got a camera pointed at him maybe that's the way Walt was maybe he was always on and maybe you know that was just the thing about him and maybe that's kind of what got under people's skin or something like how can a man how can he be so genuine about all this I don't know if it's real or not, but it seems like other than P.L. Travers, it seems like everyone loves him. Right. That's the other thing, too. That's that's So that's what leads me to think that there is some sort of false perception going on, but also it's fused with sort of the real deal. And, you know, they got I think they got as much... I don't want to say damage, but they got a couple hits in on Disney as many as possible. Like, we do see him drinking Irish coffee at the end, right? Like, he does put whiskey in his coffee and takes mm-hmm. a sip. They try to make him fallible and human and to say, like, yeah, he's he's more than just a statue. Like, he was actually kind of like a real person under all that as well. Again, though, not his movie. Just trying, you know, talking about him mostly because this is the Hank show. So I said earlier, my favorite and least favorite moments, my favorite moment is that moment at the end. My least favorite is kind of like the latter two-thirds of the flashbacks. I think the early stuff with Colin Farrell, like, I love him. This is also a wildly different Colin Farrell than I just saw in Widows, which we just covered for Too Fast, Too Forever, which would have been out last Friday as you're listening to this. So instead of being, like, the son of a racist alderman, Robert Duvall, who's, like, going to take a job to, like, battle corruption. Actually, it's, it's kind of not. Like, he, he kind of is just, like, he's kind of a screw up <laughs> in this one, too. So maybe it's not. I don't know. But what about you? What are your favorite moment, least favorite moment? Is it something that we've said already? Is it something that we haven't said? Uh, what did you love about this movie? What do you not love about this movie? Okay, so I think we, we touched a little bit on what I liked. We mentioned them for a moment, but my favorite part is Bradley Whitford and the Sherman Brothers. You mm-hmm. know, Bradley Whitford, Adventures in Babysitting, who could forget, used his own sports car with his own vanity plate. Yeah, those guys, and it's Schwartzman and BJ Novak. So, like, those guys are awesome. Like, I think they look like brothers. They just everything I've seen about in documentaries, like they sort of embody those guys from what I understand. And they just really, especially Schwartzman captures that gee whiz sort of optimism of that I think about when I think of Disney movies and music and all of that kind of stuff was really great to see. The one thing that was kind of weird, though, is just like, and I think this was probably had to have been made up to a degree is just like every single time they come up with like a new hook, like someone's busting into Walt's office and is like, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. It's like the dude is not going to get shit done at all. Oh no. If you just keep doing that all day. I mean, he had other stuff like going on. You could see uh, at times like the big billboards of Disney world for Florida and everything mapped out on his wall and stuff. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, those guys uh, were definitely, you know, my favorite stuff. And then what about your least favorite? Do you have a least favorite part? Yeah, so my least favorite stuff is definitely those flashbacks. Like, that would be, even if that was just like a movie in itself, it would be like, you know, past the razor blade, like past something, like I got past past the poison because this has, I got to just, this is enough. Like, it's just, it's so depressing. I think it would have been fine to show some flashbacks, 
But it starts to become that movie, and that's not the movie. You know, like, I was like, oh, okay, we're just going to get sort of drips and drabs and clips and things like that. But, like, even, like I mentioned Batman Begins, at one point he becomes Batman and we stop getting flashbacks. You know, like, there has to be some point, like, where we ha- where we the movie just keeps going forward instead of backwards. So that was a bit much, and I think I mentioned to you off air that, like, Colin Farrell is... It seemed like to me he was given one direction, and that's do something Johnny Depp would probably do with this role. Because he just came across as like a Johnny Depp mimic from that Peter Pan movie or something, like where, you know, he plays the guy who wrote Peter Pan, which is weird because they're both about like beloved children's books and stuff. But yeah, so I was not feeling those vibes. I don't think they contrasted well with what was going on in the present. So yeah, so that those are the two main things. I don't have any other notes about this. It was nominated for Best Score at the Oscars. Thomas Newman, the cousin of Randy Newman, who obviously does the uh, Toy Story scores, but Thomas Newman is all prolific. He did the Wally score, which I love. Like he's done a bunch of you know Disney-related stuff. Apparently, and I need to look this up. Walt Disney and Tom Hanks are distant cousins. I heard. I think I heard that. He's also related to Mr. Rogers too. Mr. Rogers, yeah. Unless this is all bullshit, because that's what I think. Yeah, that came up again, and I was like, are they sure? Okay, so he's he's related to Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president, the of course. He's the third cousin <laughs> four times removed. It comes from the president's mother, Nancy Hanks, as a joke, blah, blah, blah. He's also related to Fred Rogers. Dude, he's definitely in the future in Cloud Atlas. Like, that is definitely one of Hanks' descendants playing that part. <laughs> That's so weird. Hold on, looking now I'm looking on Reddit, see if there's an answer. Distant cousins, I believe. All right. Okay, I'll take the rumor. For just trivia's sake, Tom Hanks' favorite Disney movie is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So, Oh, that's a great one. That is a that is a master class in accents. And it's an amazing looking film. I think it was shot in like super wide cinemascope. At the time, it was, you'd have to go to a special theater to watch it. Oh, really? With like wow. The three, with like, you know, they had like the three screens and it was projected at Panorama or something. So this is the 1954 one, the Richard Fleischer one? Yes. Cool. Okay. And that's on Disney Plus, it looks like. So cool. Very, very cool. Do you have a favorite Disney movie on the topic of Disney and movies? Boy, I'm sure I do. I wasn't ready for this. Do you have one? Oh, no. I I was going to try and think of one by the time you answered. But no, I don't either. (laughs) I don't really. I remember as a kid, I loved Oliver and Company. But I've been told that's like a pretty, pretty obscure one from the late 80s during sort of a transitional period, I guess. But... That was a big one for me as a kid, Oliver and Company. It's a lot of Billy Joel soundtrack. A lot of the Pixar movies would probably be up there if we're talking pure just Disney animation. I love those Trons. Those are always cool. I grew up watching the Disney movies, but I didn't really grow up like, you know, I'd seen Little Mermaid as a kid, Beauty and the Beast as a kid. I saw Aladdin a bunch, Lion King, Pocahontas, right? Like, I saw all those growing up. Recently, a lot of the Pixar movies are great. Like, Zootopia is not a Pixar movie, but I love Zootopia. It's funny how, like, they're remaking all of their cartoons as live-action movies. That was something interesting that, like, Disney thought of to do that really sort of... I feel helped connect with the audience at large was take these, you know, like Grimm's fairy tales or Aesop fables and things like that. And like actually rework them and tone them down and not necessarily make them more accessible, but maybe more, well, maybe just more accessible for like the general American audience at the time. And it just sort of took off around the world and you just kept going. I also will say that Fantasia, I love Fantasia. 
when I was little, and I really loved Donald Duck when I was little, and when we went to Disney World the most recent time, which now is still like 15 years ago, like when I, when my sister and I were both in high school, they had a, uh, a ride or a video or something where Donald Duck put on the Fantasia hat, and I was like, oh my god, this is like five-year-old me's like favorite thing in the world, and so I bought <laughs> Donald Duck with the Fantasia hat plush, uh, so I still have that, so I don't know where he is now, but nice. like my two, like I think my two favorite Disney things were like at least a period of my childhood were Donald Duck, who I called Duckle, and Fantasia, and so to see the two together, I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Yeah, I definitely had like a Tigger stuffed animal that just like ended up being a rag <laughs> by the end of my childhood. Like yep. I was with it early on when I went, I think like the first time I went to Disney, the big thing was Figment, the purple dragon. Mm. So that was, mm-hmm. that was amazing. And then Captain EO. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but I've, I've got big ideas if they ever want to bring Captain EO back to Disney. Doug Plus Benson is in Captain EO. That's right. And Francis Ford Coppola directed Uncle Francis. Wow. So. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think he's like, I think he's just an extra in it, but I remember him always talking about it whenever I, you know, I was listening to Doug Loves Movies. That was a Lucasfilm collaboration as well with Disney and everything. So it was like Lucas and Francis and Michael Jackson, and then it was just like a whole just, yeah, <laughs> that's what they got. <laughs> oh, I guess now that Disney owns Star Wars, I guess my favorite Disney movie is The Last Jedi. Oh, sweet. I'm right there with it's, you. I love The Last. That's my favorite Star Wars movie. Right? It's the best one. So, yeah. Okay. Two questions before we get into the Woodies. Could Tom Cruise play Walt Disney? I think I think he probably could, but he would play a even though he's you know roughly the same age as Hanks ish, right? Like in that ballpark, he would play like a much younger Walt Disney. I think. Oh, that'd be interesting. Maybe not much younger, but like a forty-year-old Disney as opposed to like you know the fifty-five or sixty-year-old Disney we get in this movie. So you know what I was actually thinking about while watching this movie is that you know Disney and he was always pushing technology. You know he is like the fucking James Cameron of his time, and I'm not just talking films, but like you know animatronics and robotics and all that kind of shit. Like he had rocket scientists working for him and stuff. But like in Mary Poppins, you have the scene, and I don't know if it's the first scene, but it's definitely one of the first scenes where you have like people dancing with cartoons and stuff. Like would become kind of commonplace and roger rabbit and stuff like that and i was thinking like if you did the young disney movie with tom cruise it would be cool to see him interacting with his imagination as like early mickey mouse popped up over his shoulder or something or like you know other creations started coming like around the corner and like oh yeah like that would be i could see tom cruise sort of a paranoid disney right a younger paranoid sort of down on his luck Disney trying to create these imaginary characters and they're like talking to him almost in like a cool world kind of way but that's what I'm thinking yeah so definitely I'd love to see Tom Cruise as young Disney I mean it's it it sounds like the best it sounds like the best I mean also the worst but also the best well the best of the worst maybe there and then is Tom Hanks America's dadness? I don't know how you can say not. I mean, I'm sure that there, you know, I, I, I'm saying I'm sure because I probably should know, but I don't. But I'm sure there are stuff behind the scenes that we don't really want to know about Walt Disney and that they have masked or tried to not get out. But like, how can the father of American animation, globe, you know, just children's animation be anything other than America's dad, right? So, yeah. Yeah, growing up, I heard all these sort of myths about him, good and bad and stuff, and you hear, like, oh, Disney's a Nazi, and this, and it's like, no, he wasn't, and it's like, yeah, he's, like, a master of propaganda, okay, sure, but, like, so are a lot of filmmakers, but, you know, he's just trying to bring joy to the world, right? He's using his powers, that's what I was thinking, like, he's just using his powers for good there, but it was just kind of on my mind, because I was sort of upset with myself for a minute, uh, thinking about that. Let's get you thinking about something else. The Woody's the best and the worst of Tom Hanks' career. Best film, worst film, best of the worst, most fun, bad film. I don't think it's any of those. Yeah. It's not really Hanks' film. Nope. 
Best roll, worst roll, most wasted performance? No, none of those. Again, no. We don't have the category that we had for Tom Cruise of best supporting performance. I think this could fall in there. I know he is second build, but it does feel like, to an extent, he's the you know the support to Emma Thompson. But don't have it as a category because he's generally the lead. Like it's rare that he's not top built. Yep. Best ensemble? I think no. Like it comes close. Like the ensemble's good, but I don't think that they're given enough to do. I don't think there's enough focus. Do you? No, no, I don't. Um, I wish they sort of spent more time in the present and sort of and try to maybe introduce more, beef up more characters and and do those things because they're right there. They're so close, but yet they're not there. I think Paul Giamatti is probably the one guy, and ironically, he's her chauffeur, you know, the the most menial sort of guy in the movie as far as, like, where he stands in the whole, like, scale of things. Yet, like, I feel like he's the guy with the arc, that emotional arc that I understand the most aside from her. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Best fight? No. Best dance scene? Does Hanks dance? Do I miss a Hanks dance? Because it feels like he should. I mean, there's music. They dance, but he doesn't dance. Okay. The Sherman brothers dance with her, but he, I think, just witnesses it. Best party scene? No. Best Hanks outfit wardrobe? No. Best death? No. Best line or best freakout? No. Not really, right? No. Best music? I will put it. I will put best music, Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. But for all of the Mary Poppins movie music, for yes. sure. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you might be... That's a good thing we changed that category. <laughs> right. And also the score is good. I think the score works. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's very good. It was Oscar nominated. Best or worst Hanks love story? There is not one to speak about. And then best non-Hanks actor, male or female? I guess Emma Thompson as P.L. Travers. I think... I hate her character, but I think that's a sign of a good performance. Like, she's just so archetypally just... annoying like just like like i don't want to use negative adjectives because i don't want to like be demeaning to her but like they just don't like she's so stereotypically written to just be like i hate everyone and everything this is all a waste of my time yeah no i definitely agree with that it's a very one note performance and there's so much more to it it feels like there's so much more to explore behind all that like we don't we really don't come to learn anything about her more than um, the movie implies so that I know that she had an alcoholic father and she became a children's novelist and that's about it and like you know she she went from being angry all the time to not being quite so angry all the time Um, the movie is trying to sort of understand you know it's trying i feel like the movie maybe the with the flashbacks i don't know they're trying to help you understand why she's so mean or angry and all this and that but again like i just feel like if if she she we know right from her first scene she's being forced into a situation that she had hoped she'd never have to be in ever and i think if anybody was in a situation like that they'd be very sort of uh standoffish you know i think that maybe you just have to like tone it down a little you gotta do something i guess i don't know what it is you gotta do something we now have 10 more Hanks movies. We were in the final Ooh, 10. Baby. There are going to be more episodes than, of course, because we've got our announcing the Woodies. We've got our clip show. we got our ranking movies. We've got the Woodies award show. we got other stuff planned. we got more than that. But we have 10 movies left. I've seen, I think, seven of them. Next week's one is one that I have seen already. It is one that... Circle, circle, circle. No, not circle. yet. Circle is in six weeks. You got a long wait. Oh my God, I got a long wait for that shit. Damn it, damn it. So we are skipping 2014. He released nothing in 2014. The next week we are doing the Oscar-nominated Bridge of Spies. We're going back to the Spielberg well for Bridge of Spies, 2015's Bridge of Spies. 
great movie. So yeah, looking forward to that. That's one. That's one of the better ones I think that we have. I mean, we have another Toy Story left. We've got the Post left, but I think this is you know there's other stuff that I like in here. Sully I like, but Bridge of Spies I think is one of the better movies we've got left. So we gotta savor this next week. Yeah, I always love a good Cold War spy drama, and uh, yeah, the the whole East and West Berlin thing. You see the wall going up in this movie. Yeah, this one was great. Can't wait to see it again. Uh, any other thoughts about Saving Mr. Banks or any of this before we come back next week for Bridge of Spies? Uh, no, I'm good. Everything's good. I'm ready for next week. So let's, yeah, let's keep it moving on. Cool. Well, for all things Hanks from the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week, like I said, for Bridge of Spies. Check out all 48 episodes of this and all 45 or so of Cruise Club and all close to 1,700 episodes of our podcast network at cageclub.me slash shows. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. We'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. you are, Tank.